turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to read again verses 29 through 32. And really, if I was giving it justice, I would also continue on through the first two verses of chapter 5. But for sake of time, I'm only going to do verses 31 and 32 this afternoon. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And I made note this morning In chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God. God in Christ also has forgiven you. Be imitators of God as beloved children. We learned this morning that we definitely can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I can't imagine grieving the spirit of holiness, and I reverse that on purpose, to emphasize the spirit's purity, the spirit's uniqueness, and the spirit's un, the spirit's cleanliness in which we can distress or pain that spirit. That Spirit is the Spirit of His presence among the children of God as they gather in local New Testament assemblies like ours. Where you have a genuine New Testament church, you have the Spirit of His presence. The Bible calls the assembly of believers a temple of God. And he calls our individual vessels a temple of the Holy Spirit. How is that grief known? Well, we understand that we can grieve the Holy Spirit directly. But how can we know, how do we know ourselves if we have grieved the Holy Spirit? Well, we learn that that is an internal grief over the speech that is being listened to. Now we can be grieved for other things. We can be grieved because we have been confronted. We can be grieved or pained because we're irritated with the person that is there. That is not the grief of the Holy Spirit. This is a grief that's deeper than a mere emotion. It is an affection that is moved in pain because God's glory has been transgressed. And that grief is in the hearer. 
<clears throat> we learned that this morning as we looked at the Old Testament example of the children of Israel in the wilderness. They grumbled, <clears throat> they complained about the providences and the limitations that God brought into their life, and they definitely grieved the Holy Spirit directly. But we know that it is in the hearer because when Moses heard the grumblings of the children of Israel, he was grieved and he did something. What did he do? He went directly to God in prayer, didn't he? And he expressed that grief and displeasure to the Lord. And brethren, we need to be really, really careful. And I think all of us as believers grow in our sensitivity of this. We need to be careful how we speak about God's providences in our life. I was reminded this afternoon as I was meditating on these verses, Job, of all people, had devastating providences enter into his life, and they were successive, one after another, where basically he lost everything. And yet he falls on his knees in prayer. And he did speak right. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the, of the Lord. And the scripture says, in all that, Job did not sin. And there's almost an understanding there with his lips. He retained a submissiveness before the Lord. A church body can provoke the Spirit of God. And a church body can actually quench the activity of the Holy Spirit in that body. And one of the ways that they quench it is by their response to preaching. Our response to the Word of God as it's being preached and taught among us. Now, we know that grief because it is an internal grief over the speech that you're hearing, the grumbling and the complaining of what you are hearing. How are we to express that grief is another question. And fortunately, we do have an illustration of a person who was grieved and how they responded to it. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> and what we're looking at here in this chapter is the specific occurrence of our Lord. Folks, if we want to know how to handle our providences, we need to look at Him. And what we have is that He is in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you look down at verse 36 of that chapter, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to His disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. 
And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be what? Grieved. Everybody see that? That's the same word that we have in Ephesians 4 in reference to the Holy Spirit. Here it's in reference to the Son of God incarnate. He is grieved. He is pained. There's something going on in his soul that is, in this case, pure and holy. What is he distressed about? He is distressed about the providence that is coming upon him. What is coming upon him? The cross. And all that is involved in that cross. Now folks, he could respond in this way. He could grumble about it. Right? He could complain about it. But if he did those two things, he would have sinned and would not have been the Son of God. But how is he going to respond to it? The children of Israel have a lack of water. How did they respond to it? They grumbled and complained. The children of Israel didn't have meat. How did they respond to it? They grumbled and they what? They complained. They didn't like the leadership and the path that God was leading them on. How did they respond? They grumbled and complained. There's a path our Lord is walking. The beloved Son is heading to Calvary. Now folks, think about this. He's innocent. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be reproached. He's going to be spit on. They're going to weave a crown of thorns on His head. They're going to beat that crown of thorns on His head. They're going to whip Him without mercy. They're going to put a robe on His back and as that blood congeals and attempts to heal that body, they're going to rip it off of His back. They're going to put a beam of wood on His shoulders of which He's so weak, He collapses on the way to the cross. They're going to lay Him on that cross and they're going to take a spike and put it through His hand, both of His hands and His feet. They're going to yank that cross between heaven and earth. The jarring of that is going to rip His human flesh. Surely if it was us and we only knew a tenth of that physical suffering, we would be complaining about it. And we would be grumbling about it. Let alone the full wrath of God falling upon the innocent one.
We as believers can barely handle somebody accusing us of something that we didn't do on a very minor level. He's aware of at least a measure of this in His humanity. And so, being grieved and distressed, He said, verse 38, Then He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved. How grieved? To the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with Me. And folks, what we see here is we see the perfect man handling the providential things of life in a sinless way. What did he do? How did he express that grief? How did he handle that? He went to prayer. Does everybody see that? He went to prayer. And he went to prayer over the circumstances that were coming. What was his attitude in prayer? Well, let's read it. Verse 39, He went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Folks, Christ in His humanity had a human will. And that human will expressed itself, not trying to get out of the cross, but it still was expressed, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from Me. Did everybody see that? But is he submissive to the providence? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And folks, that is really our response to grief and pain, to the circumstances of our life that we don't like. We don't like that restriction. We don't like that limitation. We don't like that disease. We don't like that car accident. We don't like the results that have come down in our life. And if you've been living this planet for any length of time, you probably have said in your heart, well, this didn't turn out like I thought it was going to turn out. Things aren't like I planned for. And it's at that point that we have to not respond like the children of Israel. We have to handle our grief properly by going into prayer, giving it to the Lord, saying, not as I will, but as you will. In other words, to submit ourselves to that limitation. And that's not always easy. It's not always easy to submit yourself to terminal cancer. Can we just nod our head and say yes? 
It's not easy to yield yourself to a disability. I remember Gene Call, who's with the Lord now, and if you knew him, he had MS, he was confined to a wheelchair. And he would just say to me sometimes, why, why, why did the Lord allow this to happen? That's a natural question, isn't it? And I would just have to say to him, Gene, I don't know, but I do know this, there must have been no other way for you to be conformed into the image of Christ. And I didn't say that like, well, God works everything for good. He does, doesn't He? But I said it with deep empathy, knowing that if I was in His shoes, I would be thinking the very same thing. It's not easy to submit to a restriction or a limitation in your home. Those are hard. It's hard for a wife to submit to a limitation of her husband that she may not think is correct or she may have a different opinion about it. It's not easy for a husband to submit and so for the good of his wife to submit some things he may really freely believe in. It's not like it's a sin or something, but he yields for the sake of his wife. It's not easy for a believing child to submit to the limitations of parents. It's not easy for us to submit ourselves to the limitations of government. It's just not easy to be submissive. Would you agree with that? And I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's not submission if you agree with it. It's submission when you don't agree with something. That's when you find out your conformity into the image of Christ. And if you're like me, what you find is there's a deep-seated sinful nature in there that doesn't want to submit. Christ prayed over His circumstances. And folks, this is exactly what Philippians says. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard and keep your heart in Christ Jesus. Where's the anxiety coming from? Our heart. Our heart. And folks, this is the way the new self operates. Our old manner of life operated according to, as we go back to Ephesians 4, according to verse 31. Our old manner of life operated with all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and all malice. That is the way of our former walk. And I could say this, this is what we're fighting against. But we have a new manner of walking. And that is verse 32. Kind to one another. 
tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Would you say those are like night and day? Those are like night and day between a manner of walking. Now what I want to do is I want to go through our old manner of life to give some light and understanding to it. And then I want to spend a little time on our new manner of life. And as I do, I want you to know that both of these, our former manner of life and our new manner of life, deal with our heart attitudes. This is what's going on in our heart. On one hand, our heart is full of malice and bitterness and wrath and clamor. On the other hand, our heart is full of kindness, tenderheartedness, and a forgiving spirit. When those things are filled in our heart, when the words of Christ are dwelling richly in our heart, then what comes out of our mouth comes with a desire to edify one another and to minister grace to one another. Everybody see that? It begins where? Internally in our hearts. This is what you have to guard. Don't say like the children of Israel, well, I can manage that. You don't manage it. You slay it. You put it to death. You don't want it bubbling around there in your heart. And I can speak from Scripture and say that, and I can speak from experience about that. So what is our former manner of life that we are not to have in our hearts? Number one, bitterness. This is a word that involves our taste. Would you not agree with that? How would you know if something's bitter or not? You, you taste it, right? You look at something and you taste it and you go, ugh, that's bitter. This is what happens when a person hears what you're saying. They're anticipating edification. But when the words go in, when you taste them, they're what? They're bitter. And you react as if it was bitter. If you don't react as if it's bitter, what can happen is, is you join the other person in their bitterness. In other words, you welcome the bitterness, and then you join them in whatever they are bitter about. We won't turn there, but of several passages, Hebrews 12 verse 15 talks about the danger of a root of bitterness springing up in a congregation. This isn't like you just express bitterness, you become a bitter person. Everything about you is bitter. That's a root of bitterness that the Old Testament warns us about. We are not to have this going on in our heart. 
a deep-seated <clears throat> resentment about something. Does everybody see that? There's a resentment down in there about a circumstance or a judgment that you're making about another person or whatever they're doing, and it just goes down in your heart and it settles there. And it begins to foster. How would you know if something is settling down in there? Well, that brings us to our second word here, and that's the word wrath. This word wrath refers to an outburst of anger. Have you ever been with someone and you approach a subject, you didn't even know that this was something that would really was deep-seated or in that person, but you approach a subject or you say something and the person just lashes out at you. You ever, you ever been in that situation? I know you have. But that means that whatever they lashed out against you about, probably, and I say probably, is something that is resent, resentful within them. They have let that resentment abide down in their heart, and when you push the little button, what happens? This outburst just comes out of them. And, and you can even, I've been in situations, I've been both the one that gave the outburst and I've been on the receiving end of the outburst. And I've walked away saying, boy, what got into them? Well, what got into them is you got near a bruise that's in their heart. And it just, they, they're managing it, right? And I use that in quotes. They're managing it until you get near that bruise and boom, outburst of anger. It's an intense, sudden displeasure or rage. And folks, we, lost people do this at a very early age. We call this temper tantrums. You ever seen a baby throw a temper tantrum? It's not cute. It's an expression of their sinful nature. They don't like what you're doing or asking them to do. So they stomp their feet and they express that sudden outburst of anger. They don't want you to put a diaper on them. They just want to be nude for the rest of their life. And they're stiffening themselves and they're squirming and fighting against you. It's that outburst, rage, displeasure about the limitations or we could say the providence that is coming upon them. But folks, adults have their temper tantrums also. We're a little bit more sophisticated about it, but it's temper, temper, temper. And it's not to be named among saints. So you have this deep-seated resentment. You have this wrath, this outburst of anger. And then you have, number three, you have anger. You might say, well, what's the difference between wrath and anger? This word anger refers to a smoldering 
rage. You know, sometimes people, you ever met people that they just kind of explode all over you and then they're fine? While you're kind of picking up limbs and shrapnel all over the place in your life? I mean, they got it out and they exploded all over you and you're having to deal with it and then you're listening and they're singing the Psalms of Zion and just having a great time and you're over there having to deal with it. This is something where the resentment begins to smolder. It begins to seethe like a little snake stirring around in the waters of your heart. And the more you think about it, the more it begins to seethe within. This is an anger that is building from the resentment. And folks, you're not more spiritual if you say, well, I just have smoldering anger, whereas you have outburst of anger. Both of them are not to be named among the saints in the house of God. Sometimes we tend to think that people who just outburst anger all the time are more wicked while you're having the seething raging going on inside your soul. They're both sinful. Does everybody see that? Both of them are sinful. And folks, the result of that is number four, clamor. Clamor. This is a quarrelsome shouting. I liken it a little bit to what went on at our presidential speech a few days ago. Whereas our president said something and a few Republicans got up and started quarreling by shouting at him. So what did the president do? He turned around and shouted back at them. That's clamor. Clamor. And it really is a sad thing when there is clamor in the house of God. I've told you this illustration before, and it is an extreme illustration, but this is true. This happened where a church that is no longer a church had a business meeting in which in the middle of the business meeting, a man stood up in the back and pulled out a gun and started walking toward the pastor, yelling and shouting at him. Now that is extreme, isn't it? And no matter how you look at it, that is not spiritual. (laughs) But let me ask you this. Do you think the man had resentment in his heart? Do you think the man had fed the resentment so that it was smoldering anger in him to the place where he hated and threatened to what? To kill someone. because of a difference of opinion. It's no wonder that the church no longer exists. Clamor, that quarrelsome shouting. I'll give you another example since it's really current. The January 6th uprising is what they call it. If there were believers there, and I'm sure that there probably were believers there, 
they violated the scripture in what they did. Not only do you have bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, but this can often descend into slander. This is a word that is the word for blasphemy. It is abusive, evil speaking about another person. It's speech that degrades the other person. It disrespects them. It defames them or reviles them. In other words, what's going on in your heart, this is your former manner of life, what's going on in your heart is you're really trying to bring that person to bow to you. And then the Scripture says, along with all malice. All forms of bitterness, all forms of wrath, all forms of anger, all forms of clamor, all forms of slander, all forms of malice. Malice is a word that refers to being mean-spirited. You ever met people and they're just mean? I mean, they, they've just gotten to the place where they're just mean about everything. They express ill will toward others all the time. And it ends up having a type of speech that is vicious and attacking the other person. It's not like we can have a civil conversation about anything. It's the person's going after that other person. And folks, this is the way we used to live. I don't care how religious you were, if you were lost, this is how you operated your life to some measure or some degree. And this is really a progression. It begins with inner resentment and it ends with an all-out attack on another person. Now folks, we can conclude this little section here by saying this. These types of sins are not to be engaged in in the life of a believer. Will we struggle against them? Yes or no? Yes, because our nature is our former nature is this way. But we are not to walk in this way. And folks, this is the way the children of Israel did. They harbored bitterness because of their circumstances. There were outbursts of anger and inner smoldering displeasure with what God had done in their lives. It began to be a shouting, give us another leader, take us another place, to slander where they actually said wrong things about Moses and about the Lord, to just a vicious attack on the Lord Himself.
These forms of sins are not to be engaged in. And brethren, I want to urge you before we leave here, don't allow these things to set up in your heart. It will attempt to deceive you and say, well, you're really not resentful. You're not really bitter about this. You're just ministerially concerned. I just care about that person enough that I can have resentment about it. We cover it over with all kinds of things. And then we share our resentment with others. Oh, brother so-and-so, let me tell you something. Now, I just want you to pray about it with me. But when you share the resentment and you share the wrath and you share the inner smoldering that you have against the circumstance or against that person with another person, they have to deal with it. Did you hear that? They got to handle it themselves. And what's the danger? The danger is is they, they join in with you. And our sinful nature has this little knack about it that we think that the more people who agree with us, the more right we are. And folks, if all the world is in agreement and God's against it, He's right. No matter how, how many people you have on your side. This is our former manner of life and we are to put this off. What are we to put on? Well, our new manner of life begins with a concern not for ourselves, look at verse 29, but for the good of the other person, for the edification of them according to the need of the moment. Now that means you're not going to have a canned answer for everything. I know of some pastors, you know, if, if someone has a particular problem, they, just, they can pull a sheet out from underneath their drawer, just hand it to them. It's not according to the need of the moment. It's just a canned response. There are no canned responses. Because every person has something nuanced going on where? Their heart. Their heart. Not just their speech but their heart about it. So the new manner of life begins with another person's edification. This is loving your neighbor as yourself. And it begins with an inter-kindness and spirit toward the circumstance or the other individual. What is the first thing? Kindness. Now folks, when I say kindness, I'm not talking about compromise. Sometimes people will accuse a person, well, you're not kind, and what they mean is, you're not doing what I want you to do. That's not what this is referring to. The word kindness refers to a gentleness of spirit or a benevolence of spirit. 
And probably the best place to see this in our Bible among all the places where this word is used is in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. And I want you to turn there with me. Luke chapter 6. And if you look at verse 31, what we have is a beatitude here. Treat others the same way you would want them to treat you. He talks about that genuine love loves people that don't love you. Lost people love people who love them. But the measure of our spirituality is loving people who don't what? Who don't love you. That's the measure of maturity. And then he says this, verse 35, but love your enemies and do what? Do good to them. That's what our passage is saying. For the good, for edification. Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Does everybody see that? Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So folks, when we're talking about kindness, when we're talking about a gentleness of spirit, a benevolence of spirit, we're talking about doing good to this other person with their edification in mind. You say, well, what if they're not responding rightly? What if they're chewing me out? What if they're spewing all over me? Well, God does good to His enemies. Does God give rain to your lost neighbor? Does He give rain to the farmer that doesn't know God and is plowing his field just for himself? The answer to that is what? Yes. Yes. Does He provide evil people with housing and salary and food and raiment? Does He not do that? You're to do the same. You're to be kind. Kind in action, kind in speech toward that other person. Kindness is the vehicle in which we're speaking to one another for their edification. That kindness could be correction. That would be a kindness, wouldn't it? It would be unkind to leave someone in a wrong direction and sin, but you don't express that by just spewing outbursts of anger all over them when you do it. You maintain a gentle spirit when you do it. Secondly is tenderheartedness. We're to show tenderness one to another. That means that we are to be sympathetic 
toward another's need and weakness. We're to put ourselves in their shoes. You know, folks, the Puritans used to say this, be easy on others, hard on yourself. Does everybody hear that? Be easy with others, hard on yourself. Do you know the way we used to live? Hard on others. Easy on who? Ourself. In our former manner of life, we could justify doing whatever evil we wanted to do. And it was right for me to do it, but it's wrong for you to do it. We're to be easy on others and hard on ourselves. We're to express a tenderness one to another. This is exactly, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, this is exactly what Peter is referring to here in this passage. Excuse me. When he comes out of this on how a wife is to deal with a disobedient husband or an unbelieving husband. And he says in verse 8, concerning the wives and concerning our being unjustly suffering, he says, now, to sum it all up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, Kind, what? Kind-hearted. There's our word. And humble in spirit. What would kind-hearted or tender-hearted look like? Verse 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a what? A blessing. Speaking rightly and scripturally in the moment to the good of that other person. That's tenderheartedness. So we are to be a heart filled with the kindness of Christ. We're to have a heart that is in sympathy to another person's need and weakness. We're to be tender-hearted. And then thirdly, in Ephesians 4, we are to be forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We are to be giving forgiveness. Now there's two aspects of this forgiveness that we're to give. First, there is a giving of forgiveness upon another person's repentance. And you remember Peter asking the Lord, how often should we forgive a brother who asks for it? Seven times? What did our Lord say? Seventy times? That's a lot of times in a day. 
If you're like me, I might be able to handle the first time. But by the second time, I'm getting a little concerned. And by the third time, I figure they're just not repenting at all. But Christ said to have this type of spirit ready to forgive. And folks, ready to forgive really means that when you extend that forgiveness that you're not holding resentment in your heart over it. I'm not saying you're not noting their difficulties. I'm not even saying that you might not have to approach something a little bit different because they have a propensity or a weakness in an area. But I am saying this, you're not allowing it to set up a resentment in your spirit so that your relationship with that person is affected. Everybody see that? How do you know if you have resentment if you avoid the person? Or if every time you see the person, you're thinking about this. (laughs) Right? That means that something's lodged in your heart that you need to weed out. Because, folks, Christ doesn't do that to us, does He? If you ask the Lord to forgive you, does He do it? He's just to do this. He's faithful to do this. There's a forgiveness because the person has asked for it. But folks, there's also a forgiveness that is expressed when the person doesn't ask for it. And I want you to turn to our sister epistle, the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes something very similar to the church at Colossae. And he says in verse 12, you'll note the, the correspondence, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now look at verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Does everybody see that? Folks, there are things that can arise in your heart that are a complaint against what someone has done or said or the way you're evaluating something in another person's life. And there are times that you need to go to that person. But a lot of the time, you just need in your heart to what? Forgive them. You need to forgive them and not hold any resentment in your heart toward whatever complaint that you have against that brother or sister. 
And folks, it is true that the Scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins. Do we hear that? Every sin doesn't have to be confronted. Every transgression that someone may do against you doesn't have to be brought into the court of law. They don't have to name every transgression. You know what 1 John 1.9 says. If you confess your sins, He's just and faithful to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all. Everybody see that? All unrighteousness. If the Lord made me name every transgression that I transgress against Him in the day, I would never be able to leave my room. (laughs) The blood of Jesus Christ washes away all my sins. Do we need to confess our transgressions? The answer is yes. But folks, there are things that you and I are going to do to each other that we're going to interpret wrongly. We're going to make a wrong judgment about it. We're going to think that we know all the evidence. We know exactly what you're thinking and why you're thinking it. And lo and behold, you find out one day they weren't thinking that at all. Forgive. Don't hold a resentment about this. But show mercy. Jesus Christ freely granted forgiveness. You didn't have to pay for it, did you? You didn't have to agonize in prayer and fasting. You came to Him in a contrite heart, confessed your transgression. He what? He forgave it. Hallelujah! That is to be our spirit one to another. If our old manner of life started with inner resentment and ended up in an all-out attack of malice on another person, then our new manner of life understands that the kindness of God leads people to repentance. That the tenderness of God remembers that we are but dust. And the forgiveness of God to sinful people is what moved Him to send His only begotten Son into this world to die for you. That's amazing, isn't it? And folks, we're to be the same way. We're to walk in like manner one with another. This is what it means to be conformed into the image of Christ. It's not just I don't go here or I go here. Or it's not just I wear a head covering or I don't. Or I wear certain attire or I don't. And there are, there are restrictions on those types of things in the Bible. But what God wants is a renewing of your heart the spirit of your mind so that we will walk in the spirit of Jesus Christ with one another.
This is what it means to be imitators of God. We're not God, are we? But we are to reflect His person, His grace. We are to reflect that grace one to another. This is what it means to walk in love with each other. This is what it means to do it in the church, to do this in our homes, to do this with lost people to the best of the ability that we have within us. And folks, I just want to say, and I think we would all agree with this, we don't want to provoke God by our speech. And you remember the parable about the man that was forgiven millions of dollars. And he goes to someone who owed him $20. And the man said to him the exact same thing that this man said to his master. Just give me more time and I'll pay it all. And what did the man do? He beat that guy. And he put him in prison. And the Bible says that if we don't forgive people from our our heart, that the Lord will send tormentors so that you will begin to understand what forgiveness really is. Folks, we have received mercy upon mercy. So let's show mercy and grace to one another. Let's pray.